and turn to the book of 2 Kings. It comes right after 1 Kings. 2 Kings. And uh, by the way, keep us in prayer. Uh, I will be, Lord willing, I'll be heading from here right after service today, driving down to Cincinnati for a couple days. And it's our annual Ohio Network Conference meeting that we're going to be a part of. And tonight will be very special. Some of you might remember Kyle and Gabrielle Walsh. Uh, they are um, getting, or he is getting ordained uh, today. So it's a very special day for them and for their family. And uh, I'll be a part of that service as we have, I believe, close to 20 people that will be ordained uh, this, uh, this evening. So that'll be a, a wonderful time. So you keep us in prayer as we uh, go through that meeting because there's nothing more productive than lots and lots of meetings. All right. The title of my message is Get Out of the Way of Your Miracle. Get out of the way of your miracle. This should be fun. Uh, I, I, I want to share some thoughts with you today on how we kind of navigate those moments where we get a little frustrated with prayer or during our prayers. When we get a little bit, well, I'm put it to you this way. We get a little bit frustrated between that first time that we say, God, I really need you to do this until the answer comes. Because how many of you know, now sometimes the Lord responds instantaneously, right? Which is amazing. But I've also learned that God is really good at taking his time. Way slower than what I want him to go. How many of you would agree? How do we navigate that? How do we deal with that? Um, I want to look at the life of a man by the name of Naaman who received a miracle, but I will tell you it was a bit of a journey to his getting the miracle that he really wanted. And so uh, if you're able to, I'd love to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this quick story together. And if you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, all my scriptures will be on the, on the big screen so you can follow there, okay? Here we go. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given, uh, had, Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. 
the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's going to pick a quarrel with me? And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So far, so good, huh? Right? Now it gets interesting. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than will when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Get out of the way of your miracle. Jesus, would you take this text, and God, would you show us new things, uh, inspire us wherever we might be in our, in our spiritual journeys today, and Lord, I pray that we would just hang in there. God, that we would not give up, that we would persevere, that we would persist. God, just renew that in our spirit today. So speak to us through your word, I ask you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we ask this. And we all said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Naaman received an amazing miracle. Would you agree with me? Okay. Leprosy, terrible condition. Uh, it was a skin condition that would eat away at your, your body, at your flesh. Different uh, pieces of your body would literally fall off uh, while you're standing there. I mean, it's bad. You would literally be beside yourself. That is just the best joke anyway. Oh, I know. That's just a horrible, horrible leprosy. Nobody here has leprosy, so chill out. And so... And, and so a terrible, terrible disease, okay? And uh, he was in a desperate situation. And here we read at the end of the story that Naaman received an amazing miracle. But I would tell you that he almost missed out on the answer. I will tell you that he came close to not getting what he had been needing and wanting. He was that close to missing out on the answer on the miracle that God had for him. And I would, uh, I, I would submit to you that if we're not careful, we might be guilty of the same. 
You know, there's a verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 9, which is really interesting. It, it says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, God's instruction, even their prayers are detestable. Look at that verse again. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that our prayers need to be accompanied by the right spirit. Our prayers need to be accompanied by the right everything on the inside. Uh, even the right prayers can be hindered when they're accompanied with the wrong attitude. Let me say that again. You could, a- I'll put it to you this way. You could ask for all the right things while having the wrong attitude. And that can cause us to miss out on God's absolute best for us. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for anyone who might be watching us online today. What in the world could keep us from receiving God's absolute best for us? Well, this story here, I think it identifies four Real dangerous attitudes that a a person who follows Jesus can find himself having when they're praying. Now, let me pause here and just say, if you have been praying for something and you have not gotten the answer just yet, I am not suggesting that there must be something spiritually wrong with you and that's why that's taking place. That is not good teaching. That's taking something like what I'm saying and throwing it to an extreme, okay? Well, you must not have enough faith. You must not have prayed right today. You, you should have prayed five hours instead of four. You should have, you know, and, and, and all, this, all this stuff that we throw and, and it's not even in the Bible. And, and so, so I'm not saying that. But again, on the flip side, there are some things that could prevent us, I think, from receiving God's absolute best in our lives if we're not careful. And I am primarily talking to people who are following God today. I'm f- primarily talking to people who, you kind of know the church thing. You, you, you've been around Jesus for a little while. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I think these four attitudes could really play havoc with your your prayer life. So let me identify those for you today, okay? Here's the first dangerous attitude. It's the attitude that says, God needs to pay up. God needs to pay up. After everything I've done for him, he owes me this answer. Look, <laughs> look how Naaman kind of dressed things up a little bit with this prayer, okay? Before he even asked for a healing, his boss, the king, says, by all means go, the king of Aaron replied, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. In other words, here's my reference. This is going to get you places. By the way, that's for those of you who think that your prayer is going to get some extra goodies because the pastor prays it instead of you. May I tell you that you have the same access to God that I have? And your prayers are just as effective as my prayers are. Yes, I'll pray for you. 
But if you think that life or death hangs on whether Pastor Phil prays for you or not, if you think life or death or job or no job or pay the bill or not paying the bill depends on whether somebody of some big spiritual clout prays for you, because I love it, like people on like Facebook. They're like, hey, w- would you put a word in with the big guy for me? Like I'm helping him get a job, you know, just, hey, God, wink, wink. And I just want, I want you to know that you've got the same access to God that I have. But let's continue, okay? So Naaman left. Go back, Marty, I forgot. Uh, there we go. So Naaman left, taking with him, here we go, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. This looks like some of your closets, okay? Or at least my son's. Uh, Verse 6, and he's not here, which is awesome. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So it wasn't enough for Naaman to merely go to the king. Naaman thought that having the backing of Aram and all that money and all those riches would give him special favor. Now, we usually don't approach God with money because, quite frankly, he doesn't need it. Correct? But what do we do? What do we do? We, we might tell the Lord that God... I have done so much for you. How in the world could I be in the situation that I'm in? Look at what I bring to the table, God. Certainly, you should pay up. I have been a Christian for as as long as Moses saw the burning bush. I was there. That's a joke, by the way. Some of you are not that old. So I've been serving you a long time. You should do this for me. Can I tell you that God is a person? God is not some cosmic principle. That there are no supernatural transactions when it comes to God and getting your prayers answered. God, I'll do this if you do this. Prayer is not a sanctified version of let's make a deal. Maybe you've caught yourself saying, what good is it for all this prayer that I do? What good is it for going to church all the time? What good is it for me to read my Bible all the time if I'm in this situation? If I'm still feeling this way? And I've seen people and I've heard people who have been in the church for quite a while that all, they, they, they feel like God owes them their answer because of fill in the blank. Let me be blunt. God doesn't owe you anything. Now, he blesses because he loves us. Okay? But God is also not a grandpa that spoils his grandchildren and then sends them home. God knows what's right. God knows what's wrong. And we'll get, back, we'll get to that in just a little bit. 
But I want you to look back at the last time that maybe you might have experienced a spiritual disappointment. Uh, was it at a time that you felt God owed you? God, I've been serving you. God, I've been, I've been preaching for you for 30 plus years. God, I've been, I've been faithful to you all this time. How in the world can you not answer my prayer? I mean, if we're straight, if we're honest, we find ourselves saying these things to God and we would never want to admit it. But these attitudes can come out. And I would tell you that they could be really dangerous in our spiritual lives if we carry them. Let me give you a second attitude. God's not living up to my expectations. God needs to pay up, number one. Number two, God's not living up to my expectations. That's going to be fun. This one. Before we read the scripture, before we read the scripture, can you imagine what might have been going through Naaman's mind? He's like, okay, I've been redirected to the man of God. I've heard about this guy. We're, we're talking calling fire down from heaven kind of guy. We're talking people getting healed kind of guy. We're, we're talking through this guy's prayers, nature getting totally uprooted and changed. I mean, this guy gets the job done. I bet he's going to stand on some big hill wearing a white suit and he's going to like outstretch his hands and lightning's going to fall across the sky and fire's going to appear. It's going to zap me right in the head and I'm going to be healed. This is going to be great. I should YouTube it. Look what happens. Elisha sent a messenger. Okay, stop. Okay, Elisha didn't even come out of the house. Are, are you getting this? Okay. I'm going to see the man of God. Who are you? Hey, I'm Fred. I'm, I'm the big guy's messenger. And here's what you need to do. Go wash yourself seven times. You know that really filthy body of water called the Jordan? There. Yeah. No, don't go to a swimming pool. No. Go to the really, you know that funky water that, you, you, there. Go there. And you'll be cleansed. See ya. So wait a minute. He shows up at Elisha's house. He's probably got his arms outstretched. Lord, I receive. He's ready. And here comes Fred. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
why is God not doing it the way I want him to do it? Oh, now this is making sense. You ever get frustrated when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to answer your prayers? Because I will tell you, if you look all through Scripture, you might, you might have everything planned out. But if you look through Scripture, God has some really unique ways of getting the job done. And they're not always what you would expect. Let me give you just a few examples from the Bible. Jesus healed a blind man by spitting in his eyes. There's an altar call. Come on up and Pastor Phil's going to spit on you. Hallelujah. Yeah, they'll be back. Elisha, same guy. Fred's boss. Elisha. He laid, he laid on top of a boy, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, hand-to-hand, to heal the boy. We will not be doing that here at Bethel Church, by the way. Okay? Yeah. Just come to the altar and lay down and brace yourself. Uh, how about Jesus? Jesus, when he was several miles away, Ready? He was several miles away, and he, all he did was speak the word. Didn't even come near the girl, and the girl was healed. Lazarus was healed after he died. Lazarus was actually dead four days. And then Jesus brought him back to life. You think God's a little bit late with you. Moses provided clean drinking water for the Israelites just by throwing a branch in the water. What are we trying to say? God has his way of doing things, and that's going to look different from person to person and from situation to situation. And here's the deal. You might expect God to meet your financial need by that million-dollar check showing up in your mailbox. And God might say, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. Here's a great job. <laughs> I didn't really want to work for it, God, but uh, if you just make that thing out to Phil Anderson Ministries, that'd be great. And, and no, here's why I want to do it. God, I, I, I want you to get a hold of, I want you to change the life of somebody that I really love who's running away from you. It may not look like a Billy Graham movie, those of you who remember those, where he just kind of shows up outside of a crusade and as Just I Am is played, he makes his way to the front. It might be more like the prodigal son who's eating pig food for a while and has lost everything and has to come to a census first. Both are just as valid. Both are just incredible. Both are wildly different. Isaiah tells us that uh, 
uh, God says actually in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've had to come to grips. Again, a lot of you know how, or you at least try to figure out how I'm wired. Uh, I'm a planner. I've got my way of doing things. And because I'm wired a certain way, it's hard for me to deviate from that plan. Some of you are, are a little bit like me. You know what your plans are today. And one wrong turn, <laughs> one, one unexpected phone call, and, and your life is just thrown. Now, what happens when that's applied to our prayer lives? And I pray and I say, God, would you please heal me? And for some reason, I'm, I'm not healed right away. How do I respond to that? Here's what I know. I know what this verse says. I know that still that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his way is higher than my ways. And God knows way better, way better than I do. And, and you know what? I wasn't going to say this. Do you know what really gets us in trouble? Is when we think that God is supposed to act and react like we do. And what we've done, we, we've confined God just to this, this little box here. And, and the Lord is so much outside of all of that. And God sees more and he knows what's going on. And, and, and that's where I say, God, you know what? I don't get it, but I trust you. Mm. That's a small sentence, but boy, it's a powerful one. God, I may not get it, but I trust you. I trust you. We may not agree with God's methods, but they're always better than ours. Let that penetrate your heart. You may not agree with how God's doing it, but first of all, they will never contradict his word. So if your solution goes against what God's word has to say, it's not going to happen. Not on God's part. But his ways are always better than mine. Always. Let me give you the the third dangerous attitude. I'm fed up. I am fed up. God needs to pay up, number one. God needs to live up, number two. Now I'm fed up. This is a real positive sermon, isn't it? Give a look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, this is Naaman's reaction. Are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And look at that last sentence. So he turned and went off in a rage. Anger at God. We probably don't care to admit how often that we're guilty of this. Now, we know the end of the story because we just read it a few moments ago. 
But Naaman doesn't know the end of the story yet. All Naaman knows is that God's not doing what he thought he should be doing. He doesn't even get to talk to Elisha. Now he's mad. And this was close enough for him to miss out on this miracle. Has there been a moment in your past that made you so angry? Angry at God that it affected your future prayers. This is a dangerous place. There's a, uh, there's a scripture in Habakkuk. I know a lot of you, when you came to church, you didn't think you were going to get a Habakkuk reference today. <laughs> but the book of Habakkuk is, is basically this prophet really, really expressing himself to God out of a lot of anger and misery. Misery and anger about what's going on around him and maybe a little bit of frustration with God. But then he concludes this particular prayer and he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my strings instruments. That's what the book of Psalms says. I will give my praise to God. I will not quit on God. Let me ask that question again. Has there been a moment in your life that made you so angry at God that it affected your future prayers. I've sat with some in my office over the years where that was the case. And there are so many moving parts to some of our prayers. Those of you who are praying for a loved one to finally get their act together, do you realize that there is a lot that has to go on sometimes in that person's life for that to take place? Just keep hanging in there. Don't get angry at God. Don't get mad and, and just move on. A prayer that wasn't answered. Maybe a person hurt you in church and that was enough for you to say, no more. I'm fed up. I'm angry. Maybe just disappointed in God. Uh, I would encourage you to have the same attitude that that old prophet Habakkuk had. Even if things aren't looking good, yet, yet, I will still praise God. I will still bless the Lord. I will serve him no matter what. And here's the last attitude that I think is really dangerous. I just give up. I give up. This is a dangerous one. Verses 13 and 14 say, Naaman's servants went to him Let me, let me pause there for a second. Naaman's servants. Unnamed people that were instrumental in Naaman getting God's answer for, for him. An unnamed girl at the beginning of our story pointed 
someone to direct their attention to God's way. Do you know what the church needs? Do you know why this dynamic is so important? Because we need a bunch of unnamed servants who are willing to come along somebody who's ready to give up, who's really discouraged, who's really frustrated, and say, don't stop. Don't give up now. Don't give up now. Don't stop praying now. Don't give up on God now. I got you. I'm with you. Don't give up now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. How many of you are glad he didn't stop at six? Can you imagine after five, it's like, ah, oh, this is so stupid. He goes down for dip number six. Ah, oh, what? I did not sign up for this. But then he goes down seven. And it says his flesh was restored. And it became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman didn't give up. I want to speak to anybody who is watching this online or here in this room. You're tempted to give up on your prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. You might have to dip seven times. And after three, ugh, this is getting frustrating. Four Oh, that was so gross. Five, still not seeing the results I want to see. Six, I'm so frustrated. But if you can keep it together and not give up, that answer is going to come. Seven. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18, I'm going to close with this, about how important it was to persist in prayer. And it's bookended, verses 1 and 2, by this. Uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then verses 7 and 8, he concludes the story by saying, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I believe that that is Jesus' uh, posture today. He's looking around at his church and he's saying, I'm looking for people that have enough faith that they will not give up. I'm looking for people that will persist enough and they will not give up, that they'll keep on praying, that they'll keep on serving me, that they will keep on hanging with me. They won't give up on church. They won't give up on God. They will not give up on reading the word. They will not give up on prayer. They will not give up on anything. They will stay focused on Christ. Is there someone 
in that church? Is there someone in that house that still has faith in me that even though it looks bleak, even though you've had to dip in messy water over and over spiritually, emotionally, however it is, you still will not give up? That's what he's looking for. Don't give Don't give up. Jonathan, if you could help me, please. You're praying for a healing? Don't give up. You're praying for someone's salvation? Don't give up. You're praying for your church? Don't give up. You're praying for your home? Don't give up. You're praying for your job situation? Don't don't give up. Don't stop now. Yes, it might be uncomfortable. Yes, it might be frustrating. I, I get it. But if you, if you could just keep going, keep dipping in the water, I believe the miracle can still take place. I believe the answer is going to come. Just don't give up. So I think the Lord would have something to say, in all honesty, to two groups of people here today. Number one would be the first group that maybe you're allowing the wrong attitude to get in the way of the answer to your prayers. The Lord's message for you, whatever that situation is, would be this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Get out of the way of your miracle. Don't give up. Don't let anger stop you from praying. Don't get frustrated because I'm doing things different than how you would do, the Lord would say. Don't give up on any of that. Just trust me. And if you're in a position where you've been tempted to give up, God would remind you today, don't persist. Keep going. Persevere. Stick with it. Whatever you want to call it. Do not give up. But the second group of people that I think the Lord would have something to say would be the unnamed servants that are in this place. You're doing fine. You're not giving up. You're at a good place right now. And that's awesome. But could it be that near you, you don't have to look very far, but near you, there is somebody in your life who is tempted to give up. There is somebody who's backed off from God. There's somebody who has cut themselves off from the church. There's somebody who has lessened their devotion to Jesus Christ, all because of their frustration, all because of their anger, all because they haven't seen the answer that they want to see. And we're not here to make fun of that person. We understand that it's frustrating. We understand that it's difficult. But could there be an unnamed servant of God that could come alongside somebody and say, hey, I got you. I'll pray with you. I'll support you. You want to just unload emotionally on me? I got you. You can do that. I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to stand with you in prayer. I'm not going to let you get back in that chariot and go back to, to Aram. I am not going to let you stop without getting your answer. I am not going to allow you to get so angry and frustrated at God that you miss out on his best. Are there some unnamed servants that could go to the Lord and, 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 and say, God, bring those people to my mind today. Who are they? You may live with one. 
You may work with one. You're probably connected with them in some way, like in social media or something. Is there somebody that you can encourage? Not throw a guilt trip on, but, but you can encourage. Sam, praying. I'm praying for you. I'll come right alongside you. I'm here for you. Is that person in the house today? The Lord would say, I've, I've got a message for both groups. To the first, don't give up. To the unnamed servants, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up on those people. Don't give up on them. Don't just shake your hands. Keep going. Will you stand with me? I, I, I know 